just um, some random thoughts, relatively random thoughts from from uh, semi mature remember. But you were in one way, semi mature in another way. And I divided it up into uh, technical issues, specifically about choral music, and then about building uh, a program building group uh, And then um, about building an imagination. Scorsese had been talking about that earlier. And then life. I wish I would have known these things. This is only partial list. Uh, there are lots of other things I wish I could have left here and know what I wish I would have known when I started. When I started as a conductor, um, when I was 23, my first job was at Huntington College in Huntington. A wonderful opportunity. And the person who hired me to partnership that I hired me because you had eyes that I wanted to have as a calling. I don't know if I, as the only boy in my family, if they would have given me talents. I don't know. 
you know, they're farmers. And, and, but we all sang in church. We all uh, played the piano. My mother and my two sisters, who are much older than 13 years and nine years older. I mean, I was not on the stage. I have been told by my mother. I might have made them think I was on the stage later on. But she said we wanted all of our children. She was very wise. Um, but we all made music. And we all sang. We sang in school. And, and Played all the instruments, but me and I played trumpet too in high school and did everything musically that I thought But we were farmers and we, our lives are centered in their farm, on their farm. Um, and it wasn't until I was in a senior in college that I thought about I was a piano major, I majored in piano in college. I, I didn't know that I wanted to be a doctor until senior year. And, and a couple of my professors came to me. I, I, I loved their classes and independently and said, we see some potential maybe to be what we can do. I have never thought about that seriously. And so my first, when I went to the university, did a master's degree uh, in a short amount of time so that I could see if this is really what I wanted to do. I didn't know if I wanted to be a choral conductor or an instrumental conductor, an orchestra conductor, but I wanted to work with Julius Herford. Julius Herford was a scores that he guru, he did Shaw's teacher and John Nelson's teacher and Lucas Foss and a lot of really wonderful people, but again, they were all and that was absolutely the right choice because I love words and I love the working with singers. But in that very first job, I had no idea how important vowels were. No, no idea. Because as an undergrad, I've been in college, we, I, I, I had sung in, in the men's league club, and the conductor had spent a lot of time modeling sounds and, and certain vowels. But, but we didn't really talk about it, we just did it, which was great. And then the ensemble sounded beautiful. And when I was a student in Vienna University, it was never discussed because he had been made to. When everybody was a magnificent singer, he just didn't talk about how to unify it. So I didn't know anything about it. I, I was musical, I could, the choir would sing musically and communicatively, but it just wasn't as beautiful as I think it to be. And I remember when I started doctoral school at, at, at USC, and I said to one of my professors, how can I get the choir to sound beautiful? And in this sort of tough moment, he said, well, it's all about the hours, you know. And I thought, okay, let's see how that works. It's huge, as we all know. So let's just, uh, and I've done it with so many groups so far, but let's just stand in it and we'll just unify the vowel in a very short amount of time. There are, I, I, Rod Eichenberg can help me with this as well as many other people, and the way it does shade the sound that I mentioned. I always start with the blue vowel. Everybody join with me, enjoy me. That's different. Great. I hope you get the difference that that just brought. Just like that without saying anything. Again.
And sometimes when we start, when we're a young conductor, we start out on our first jobs, we think, they all know more than I do. I, I, I'm overwhelmed. I just don't. You don't have to know everything when you start. You have to grow. You have to keep studying. You have to keep learning. But you don't have to know everything. I remember the very first time I conducted an opera. And I've, I've not conducted many operas, but I've conducted a few. And the very first time I was concerned about it because the singers were professional singers. They were really wonderful singers. And I, and I had taken uh, a conducting lesson with, uh, with someone who was very experienced in opera music.
I wish I would have known that not all choirs are capable of performing my favorite pieces. <laughs> that is, a, I think, a good advice for every young beginning conductor. Because we know the pieces that we love, we know the pieces that we did in college, that we did in high school. But we also have to somehow find enough pieces to, to survive in the other choir I wish you would have known more techniques for shaping phrases and colors. We did a little bit of a male voice session about uh, stretching the rubber band to increase the, the intensity of the melody relaxing at the end. That's a possibility there. Tug of roll is a possibility for increasing intensity in the melody phrase. Those are all sorts of things. And physicality, kinesthetic responses to music, and letting the body show the phrase. We as conductors do it all the time. We have the option, we're constantly showing with our body. Translate letters from the Pope. So, it's of every communication that the Pope has is in Latin. 
because if it was in Spanish, then it would be favoring those. If it was in English, it would be favoring that. So everything is in Latin because that is a language that is, it is neutral. You know. But in, his, in Dan's office, they only speak Latin. And that's how they communicate. And if they have parties or whatever, they only speak in Latin. That's the language. That is their, their, their language. And uh, one of his jobs is to make up new words. For instance, telephoning. Because there's no Latin word for telephone. So one of his jobs is to make up words. I said, Michigan Insane Football Union, which was Michigan football. He said, well, not exactly. He got back to me and he, he translated uh, Michigan football into Latin. And it was something about Michigan Insane. He said, you right, the first Michigan Insane. But with the last was something like head of something having to do with feet and then Americana because it's American football. Uh, you know, and that would be what it would be. But he said, this doesn't quite translate. You know, in Michigan, we always say go blue, and, and it was go blue and Latin, which sounds just wrong. You know, he wouldn't, it's on the way to high for living to say go blue and Latin. It's a long way of saying that if we sang anything in Latin, that's his first language now, or close to his first language. There are people who will speak every language we do, whether it's in Swahili or whatever. That becomes the language that we live in at that <clears throat> I wish I would have known how to prepare a chorus for someone else, um, adding my own stamp while training independence. Um, most of us as choral directors will prepare our chorus for somebody else to do that. We just do that. That's just how we live. Just, we're just nicer people than our orchestral colleagues. I'm joking. But we, we often will prepare our chorus to do a Messiah with somebody else or a Vivaldi Gloria or Flexibility. 
so that if it, we might take different temperatures, it might go faster, it might go slower, so that if the conductor is faster or slower, we're there. Uh, we might try, we'll train in maybe bigger crescendos or smaller crescendos, we'll train in flexibility, but I also, I mark exactly where the constants are going to be, I mark, we mark exactly where the crescendos and how much they're going to be and all that sort of thing, so it is exactly, if I step in front of that orchestra and that course, it feel really, really comfortable. If the orchestra conductor wants to change, perfect. You can change anything, the choir will go right there. But I will also say, in my experience, in preparing a course for someone else, what's going to happen about 75% of the time, the conductor, the orchestral conductor, is going to mispronounce the text. And not say it either the way it is or the way that I like to hear it. For instance, I was just preparing for a paraphrase. Okay, we're doing Beethoven 9, and the word is that E R U It's Bruder, Bruder, it's Bruder, sing Bruder. Well, that's incorrect. That's just not what it is. That very famous conductor. So the choir's like, and I said, before the next performance, I said, this is like if I went between mom and dad. Dad wins. Dad wins. He's not going to change it in the performance. Okay? We're singing the right time. There's a dictionary. Here's what it says. It's the Beautiful. And I had a wonderful choir program that 
two uh, services on Sunday morning and two different choirs sang. So one choir rehearsed on Thursday night and sang the first service. One choir rehearsed between the services and sang the second service. Well, that, that had been uh, put into place a year or so before I got there because it was designed for people who, who traveled a lot, who were very busy work on Thursday nights, couldn't come to Thursday night rehearsal, would come then on Sunday morning, and it was designed for people who were a little strong musicians but learn in the anthem during that time, maybe rehearse two or three weeks out, and then sing the second service. Well, what developed was that the people who were the dip musicians wanted to come on Thursday nights because we rehearsed for an hour and a half or two hours on Thursday night. They had time to learn the music and, and did the service, and the people who traveled and weren't such strong musicians came on Sunday morning and then sang the second service. Well, it eventually developed that, okay, for that choir, we driving crazy, we were hanging on by our fingernails, thinking, are we ready for the service that's happening in 10 minutes? And until one of the women in the choir, who was a wonderful position for herself, and a member of the worship committee, and all of that's what I had to go out on. I said, she's very conscious, why should we chair it? Well, I can do some musicianship skills during that first service. We can do that during the first service for the choir that's the same time. I'm happy to do that for a few weeks. I said, fantastic. So she did it, and people said, sure, we'll come. Every new student at, at Luther College receives a phone call from the internet. 
So we did this concert, and in a very beautiful setting, and every dean of the university is there, every development officer of the university is there, the president's there, all the Mahayimaks are there, you know, we did a concert, and then the donors, I mean, they, you know, it was in here, but so moving through, and here's why we were very cool. So I went, there was a dinner at the president's house afterwards, I was sitting around these round tables, and the president was here, and, um, and she's a wonderful woman, very small. And next to her was a donor, and his wife and my wife were together, they were sitting on the table, and the president says, well, Jerry, what do you do? Think about what you do. So I said, well, I'm director of foreign activities, and I said, oh, really, you have a program in conducting, it's very interesting, tell me, tell me about your students. Well, they come from, she's simply giving them information. She could care less about what I do. She's in a very completely natural way. She's asking me all these questions. Well, I said, well, this is, this is very exciting to work with these with you know, the donors are kind of great. Well, it wasn't too many months after that until the donor called me and said, let's dream. Let's dream. I'd like to, I'd like to hear about your dream. That led to a gift of $550,000 a few months after that. It led to a gift of last fall of $7 million for the renovation of the music building. It's just because we made friends. It's just because I communicated to him the dream of what I had for, for what we were doing. I didn't ask him for a dollar. But sometimes, if, as we talk about entrepreneurial, it's sometimes just sharing our dreams with you know, to say, you know, it'd be so great. I honestly didn't even think, I honestly at the time thought, why is Mary Sue Coleman the president asking me all these questions? <laughs> First of all, I didn't even know who I am. And second, why is she caring so much? And, and it didn't dawn on me until much after that how she was finessing that in a very elegant way. There's a <clears throat> Uh, a town very new, uh, a very blue collar town, a lot of, you know, difficult financial situations for a lot of people in the town. There was a poor director in that town for years. And it was his way of my life. I mean, tough character in a wonderful way. And, and the kids rose for that occasion. And I, I visited his, uh, he asked me to do some stuff with his, his top choir, but he said, I want you to come and just listen to the freshman women's course. And, and he finally said to me in the back of the course, he said, there are three women in this room that pray. And those were all freshmen. So, tough situation. And, and Bill led those choirs to Europe every few years. They were fantastic. There's a sign, when you enter the Salani Michigan, that says, the Salani Michigan home of the Salani Michigan Because of his work in that choir, well, there was a woman in the community that said, I'm going to give X amount of hundreds of thousands of dollars to ensure that that choir can go on an international tour every couple of years, because I want that for those kids. That's fantastic. He didn't ask her for that. He just made that physical alive, and it became a way out. So many of those kids in very important I think I think what we do uh something posted on Facebook an article by Stacey Morning today. I mentioned her book um, Imperfect Harmony, uh, Finding Happiness in Singing Choirs. Um it's a wonderful and posted an article today that she sort of summed up in an article about how she found just a new hope for life actually. I wish I would have known how commissioning works, commissioning new works. I didn't do that very much at first. Uh, I've always loved the music and always did do it, but it pretended to be 
thesis that the reason I published, but in the last few years, probably to resolve that. Be able to go in and know that all the copies are there. You know, I cannot even 
is annoying, but it also it is it's safe to write Five minutes is a virtual formula. I wish I would have known that great accompanists are developed and can grow into the job. I'm a pianist, and so I tend to have high expectations for the accompanist because I know in my head how I want it to sound. And I used to get really frustrated with the accompanist until I realized, well, until finally the school said, here's a fabulous accompanist that will do everything for you, Jerry, so you're not frustrated anymore. So I do, I honestly have the same accompanist who plays for everything, which is fantastic. But I also know that it just takes a little bit of time of one-on-one -on -one figuring out so that person can live in their dreams a little bit, can begin to think about you. And the company who plays with me now reads my mind. It's truly scary. I'll be talking to him and he'll get the pictures of where I walk to the back without me saying anything. Or he'll say, if, I'm, if he sees me going in the wrong direction, he'll say, turn left, turn left. Say those things in rehearsal, you say, Oh dear, I didn't mean that. You know, he'll move my conscience. <laughs> or, or he'll be hiding his head, knowing what I'm to say. So, oh dear, we've all done it. Anyway, though, a, a great accomplishment is worth their weight in gold, as we all know, because they will make a rehearsal a great rehearsal. If a rehearsal is infused with rhythmic intensity, it's because we know it. If it's an accomplishment. I wish I would have known that the longer you rehearse a group, the more you hear that needs improving. As a as an auditioning conductor, we think, what if I go to this audition and everything is perfect, and there's nothing that needs fixing? What if I have nothing to say? The other conductors tend to think that a lot because we we always have self doubt. Um, you know the best advice there? Let's do that again from the beginning, please, and you'll hear more the second time through. The longer you look at the group, the more you'll hear that it's improving. Now, if pretty soon you say, let's just finish it's going to be, and find another choir. Because you can always finesse things. You can always make things better, whether it's intonation or decorative music, things that we work with. I wish I would have known that asking for specific advice regarding any choral music, but particularly major works for chorus and orchestra, asking advice is really very smart. I, I never conducted Boxing Matthew Passion, which is a huge piece, until about five, six years ago. And I was pretty intimidated because it's so big, and I was going to do it with the Detroit Symphony, I was going to conduct it, and it was a pretty big deal. And so uh, somebody said, You should talk to Norman Scribner. Norman is a conductor at Washington Choral Arts Society in DC. And he's conducted a lot, it's one of his favorite pieces. So I just called up Norman and I said, Norman, I'm going to do it. And I, we had a friend in common. I said, Norman, we have, I'm going to do St. Matthew Passion. Would you be willing to spend a little time with me? He said, Absolutely, come on down to me. I'll, I'll spend an afternoon with you. So I flew down to DC and I drove to his house and we sat around his kitchen table and for three hours we went through every single week of the St. Matthew Passion. Fantastic. He said, I've conducted it five times. It's my favorite piece in all the repertoire. And, and he said, I'd be happy to spend time with you. So, and then at the end of the conversation, he said, Now, here's my full score, take it home. Use it. And, and, and he said, you know, don't you know how to make the choices I made? Because you know, in, a, in a big Baroque work, there are thousands of choices. He said, if you can just see the choices that I make, you know, I'm going to make you make completely different choices. But what you learn from looking at somebody else's school sports where the problems are. Because that's where all the marks are. That's where the red marks are, that's where the stars are, that's where the exclamation marks are. Those are the places that you really need to make sure you know what you're going to do. It was fantastic. 
tassicles were so generous. He said, now here's an extra set of cards. And he had an extra set of bigger cards. He said, these are not marked, but just take those along in case somebody comes to the rehearsal and they've lost their card. Somebody's forgotten, you know, the oboe's forgotten their card. And, and here's another set. Well, it's fantastic. Uh, was very generous and, and wonderful of him to do. And, and people will, will help you out on that. If you're doing the Vivaldi Gloria or Bach Lady for God or Schubert Massinger, whatever you're going to do, find somebody who's done it a few times. And just say, if that's been an hour with you, I'll take you to coffee. And, and let's just talk about this piece. And, and number one, both people are honored to do that. And number two, you'll be grateful. Um, I wish I would have known that seating will determine balance and intonation. Simply by changing from Hilda and Sally, you can solve a million problems. We are either right here or left here. We are either right eye or left eye. Whichever eye you put this in front of is your eye. I put this in front of my eye, right eye. I am right eye. We are one or the other. Maybe some of you have uh, corrective uh, um, surgery or whatever, or one eye is for distance and one eye is for close-up. My wife has that. And, and, and the brain says, okay, I can do that. And just manages to, to adjust for that. And as a right-eared person or a left-eared person, if Sally's over here, or Bill's over here, it will feel very different than Bill's over here. And on, on one side, we can absolutely, without even thinking about it, our voices match in the way that we do. Okay. On the other side, it just feels like I'm that Simply experimenting with who sits next to whom can make a huge difference. And sometimes people own those places in such a way that you can't move them. Then just move everybody. Just move everybody. And then I'll say, I'll frequently say, you two trade and trade. It doesn't mean I love you more. It doesn't mean I love you less. It's just the fact. We're just moving. Just you two trade. You two trade. Step past. You two trade. Right. 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 Um, we can talk a lot about seating. Uh, good, but we could. Uh, because it, it can just, you can work so hard at so many things and then just trading a few people can make all the difference in the world. <clears throat> I wish I would have known that 90% of conducting is time management. Efficient score setting, how state workers. Some of the greatest conductors I know are unbelievably organized. They just, I can figure out how the time is going to be and make things happen. And some people who are unorganized will have a hard time in this world that we live in as a conductor because we are time management people. I don't know the shortcut of that. The shortcut of that is surround yourself by someone who is, if you want, marry well, <laughs> or a wonderful assistant who will help pick up all the pieces that you let slide. <clears throat> I wish I would have known that I need, if I'm going to do things with chorus and orchestra, I need to stand in front of an orchestra often. And that's what these chorus and conductors do. And we, when we stand in front of an orchestra, we stand, we have the most variables of all. Our orchestral conductor friends stand in front of an orchestra all the time, and that might be a 16 to 20 different parts. But when we come in to do things with chorus and orchestra, we have that 16 or 20 that we had before, and then we have the intonation of the choir that gets a little spooked. Because the first time they were the orchestra, and then we have words that needs to that need to project and all that sort of thing. So we have the most number one, we have the best repertoire. The chorus and orchestra repertoire is the very best repertoire. And often the most profound repertoire. So the more we can stand in the back and listen to rehearsals, the more we can stand in front and listen to rehearsals, the more we can lead rehearsals, the better. Simply sitting in and listening 
the rehearsal. So if you're going to do something with chorus and orchestra, find a local orchestra and just sit back for a few years. Just get used to that sound. Get used to how the conductor say, you know, listen to the rehearsal and say, okay, if I hear that happen over here, I hear that happen over here, why doesn't this feel more together? And then see what the conductor says. I wish I would have known that all I do, indeed all of life, is somehow connected. I, I'm horrible at saying, I'm at work now, I'm at home now, I'm a conductor now, I'm a husband now. For me, it's all of um, there, it, I, I do email at home. I do text at home. I do play with grandchildren. I do, in the office, think of other things besides conducting. If life is all one somehow, which is uh, uh, my my family has made peace with that. My wife has made peace with that in a, in a way that just feels very natural. Um, for some people, you are able, they are able to really separate those, and at certain times of life, it is more important to separate than others. Sometimes it depends on the ages of our children. Staff, whatever, you need to be the one to tell us all about that. Because 
we don't know it. And it's not that we're against them. We just don't know what you do. We don't know all that you need. And so I said, you need everything. Well, that was great advice. Because I kind of thought that if we were doing a good job, people would know that and say, okay, well, let's, let's support them. But, but it was very, very good advice and I thanked them for it. I wish I would have known that it's very wise to stay out of politics as much as possible. When I, when I got the job at Michigan, what I heard was a mentor of mine. So I'll give you a little bit of advice. He said, number one, stay out of politics. He said, if you're a big school, there are camps on every issue. There's one side, one side. He said, you're not tenured, just don't say anything. Um, number two, be a good musician. Be prepared, know what you're doing. Number three, be a nice guy. Oh, you need to know. Don't say anything. Be prepared, be a nice guy. Pretty simple advice. But it's good advice. Um, that's not easy. Because what most of us have strong opinions about certain things. <laughs> most of us would like a voice of it. If you go to the teacher's lounge, if you, if you work in school, maybe go to the teacher's lounge. I never go. We don't have a teacher's lounge at the school. We don't have to hang out there. Um, I wish I would have known that my spouse needs to go every, to every job interview with me. <laughs> uh, if you're not married, that's fine. Because then you're, you don't have to worry about other people coming along. But if, if you, um, uh, it's always good to have a second pair of eyes at a job interview because you're not yet just or so involved you don't think logically <laughs> until a week later. Okay, what did all that mean? It's always great to have a second pair of eyes. I wish I would have known that if I look confident, I may actually become that way. <laughs> because nobody's confident in that interview or that audition. Uh, but if you look confident, you might actually eventually feel that you have something to contribute. Um, and uh, I wish I would have known that laughter is better than seriousness and blandness. That uh, people who sing in ensembles, in choirs particularly, uh, are there because they want something. They want life to be better. They might not know that. But they're in there because they want to get voice to something. And grumpiness, anger, over seriousness, it's probably not so. And uh, the last one, and then I'll have a couple of questions. I wish I would have known that a smile is one of the most important parts of strategy. In an interview, in an audition, that's the last thing you want to do. <laughs> Sometimes you might actually have to put a little post it on the page that says smile. Because you're listening, you're focused, you're doing all of those things that you, yeah, I hear this around. But the thing that you need to do, you don't have to feel like a smile. And it, and it, it shouldn't be, I was going to say ingenuine, it could completely be ingenuine, it shouldn't be artificial, but you, it could just be something that you know that you need to do at that point, that at least you can smile with your eyes. Does anybody have any questions?
for this was years ago, and, and the film wire we said we're putting you know six or eight high school choirs together. We want to do four years. We're going to hire a, a professional orchestra to do it with, and and I thought that sounds like so much fun. So I went down to the first rehearsal, and they and this was like on a Tuesday, and the concert was on Saturday, and they could sing one. They didn't know the notes of any of the other things. They said, oh, we'll work really hard, we'll, 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 we'll be okay, we'll, you know, we have the rest of the week, we'll work there. Okay. Fire record's not so hard, medium, hard, you know, and I thought, okay, they'll work really hard. So I showed up, and we were going to rehearse a whole batch, and then we have an orchestra rehearsal. And I started, I thought, I'll start the song just with the orchestra. But what the violas had not realized was that it's a viola piece. You know, the violins play this much in the fire record, the violas play this much in the end, it's Thursday and second. <laughs> so the viola started, and the sanctus is, you know, and the viola went, you know, and stopped. I said, what's good? You know, they couldn't play it at all. They didn't, I mean, obviously they had seen the part just when they arrived. And they, and this professional orchestra were all student players. That's, uh, that was true sense. It was hysterical in hindsight. I slid out of the church very quickly from the side door. My car was waiting. <laughs> but that would have been a great party day. I will always remember that and look back and think, oh, that was lovely. I don't know if I'm, you know, that I don't think I've angered anybody. But you know, the, the ones that you angered, I'm going to tell you. Gustav Meyer used to say, Gustav Meyer was a wonderful teacher of conducting. And I went to a workshop with Kiev. And he said, this may be the last time that you receive any honest feedback on your Because no one will tell you honestly how you're doing. No one will take until they fire you. No one will tell you honestly. The reviewer won't tell you honestly. The board won't tell you honestly how you're doing until they fire you. So this week we're going to give you honest feedback on the That's true. That's true. He gave honest feedback on the connect. Because no one's really going to say, you know, you're really, your gesture is really not telling us what you're doing. Nobody's going to be that honest with you. So, uh, it's good to have a mentor, somebody to come in and actually see you and say, give you some If you're brave enough to do that. Just feel really good about yourself. Better to videotape yourself. You'll give yourself honest feedback. 